Uh, if you've been with us uh, for this month, we've been in a series called The Rich Harvest. We've been looking at uh, the parables of Jesus that, uh, that deal with agriculture and with harvesting. Where uh, not only is, you know, it's, it's, it's our Thanksgiving, Christmas time, you know, the season of harvest, uh, but also our, in our church right now, uh, if you're new or visiting, we're really in a place where we want um, to be fulfilling Jesus' commission to harvest the world. We do want to see people come to faith. We want to see people baptized and, and confessing their, their faith in Jesus. We want to see people being discipled and being more like him, as radical as that can be. Um, and, and, and Jesus' agricultural parables, his harvest parables, deal with these issues. Uh, today, um, we're going to be dealing with a question that everybody you know, experiences or deals with at some point. Uh, and, that, and that question is this, you know, why does God let the people who are against him flourish? Why does God let evil people succeed and flourish? Uh, we're going to get a question, to, or a answer to that question today, not the answer. Uh, anybody who has the answer to thing, questions like that is probably selling you something. And I am not selling you anything. Um, I, I'm just here to tell you, uh, you know, in, in, in places what scripture says. Uh, the reason this is of, of, of interest to us, especially right now at this moment in our church um, where we're at, is because uh, we are going to experience the more that we uh, fulfill the Great Commission, the more that we do what Jesus calls us to do, we're going to experience more hostility. And what we're going to find is that a lot of times the people who are against us the, are, are actually doing really well, even when it seems like we're not. And there's going to come a point where everyone who's involved in this mission is going to start to lose heart and be like, God, could you just wipe them out? Like they're a constant thorn on our side. We're being faithful. We're doing what you ask. And yet you let these other people who are hostile to you, hostile to us, you're letting them flourish. Let's uh, take a look at the the text. Uh, If you're following in the Pew Bible... um, You'll notice that I've, I've changed the word tares to weeds. And the reason is that no one knows what a tear is anymore. They probably did in the 1600s. But here in the 21st century, we don't know what a tear is. We just hear weeds. So let me uh, read the, the beginning of this text in Matthew 13 from the New King James, lightly edited. Uh, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, uh, among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the weeds also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your fields? I mean, and if so, how then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants replied, well, do you want us then to go and gather them up, gather up the the weeds? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the weeds, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the weeds and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn." Uh, if, you, if, if you've been in church for a while, or maybe you're just attuned to some of the language here, you're hearing things like burning. And when people think of burning in, 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 in relation to religion, they think of hell, right? Like that's a, so, so you're like, you're, you're, you're here, and, and, if, and if you're hearing that, you're, you're kind of like, wait, uh, 
Is this, uh, what, was it, what, what are we talking about here? What's going on? Uh, and and, and the, the, the basics of the story are pretty simple, right? Uh, there's a, a landowner, and again, if you've been here with us, anytime you hear landowner, you start to hear God, right? If you're trying to figure out what the parable means. And um, just as a reminder, parables, of course, are, they're, they're, they're a way of teaching. They're kind of allegorical, so they usually have real-world references. Um, so, like, in this case, the landowner represents or symbolizes God. But they also have buried in them a, a kingdom principle, a principle that's going to tell us something about the way God is and the way his kingdom works. In this case, the farmer goes out, he, he you know, does his thing, he puts in all the seed, he goes to bed. That same night, a, a rival farmer uh, some other enemy, someone who doesn't like him, comes along and puts uh, bad seeds in the ground. And then uh, some time passes. So in between uh, verse 28 and 29, some time passes. Uh, let's look, take a closer look uh, at a couple of things in the text. Um, when it says that he sowed uh, good seed and went his way, and then the grain had sprouted and produced a crop. The weeds also appeared. That might be a little weird. So I have a, you know, I have a, a visual aid here to see what's going on. Um, on the left side of the screen behind me, you are seeing wheat. This is wheat that you can use to do good things with wheat, like make bread or whatever it is that people do with wheat. On the right side, looking very much like wheat but slightly different, is a weed called the darnel. Uh, the Darnell is, it's, it's ubiquitous. It's all over the world. Um, it's actually literally traveled to, I mean, all the continents where you can grow wheat. You will find Darnell there. It looks very much like wheat. It's slightly different, however, in two ways. One, you can't use it to make bread. And number two, it's highly susceptible to a, uh, a fungus. Uh, and, and what happens is, if, if the fungus infects this plant, it's highly susceptible and the fungus is everywhere, um, then when you cook it and eat it, uh, you get sick and die. In fact, the name uh, in French for uh, the Darnell is ivre, which uh, is, de- is derived from the word we get uh, inebriated. You can almost hear it, ivre, inebriated. Um, drunkenness, because what happens is if you eat the Darnell, you start to stumble around like you're drunk and then you fall over dead. Now, what's gone on is that the enemy has, has, has put in a weed that looks very much like wheat at the very beginning. The only time you can actually tell the difference between wheat and darnel, just with the naked eye, uh, we can do it better with science now, but at the, at the time with the naked eye is when the, 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 the wheat starts to, to sprout, okay? So the stalk comes up, and, and at the beginning they both look exactly the same. The stalk is coming up. They're both uh, very similar looking, kind of like a, a yellowish sort of color. They look identical. Leaves start coming up. They still look totally identical. They have the same reedy type of, of texture. They sway in the wind. It's only when the buds of wheat start growing that you can tell the difference between these two plants. Because the darnel has those, you can see, the little like uh, seed-type looking things, uh, whereas the wheat uh, has like the, the, the weedy-looking things. Uh, and, and that's the only way you can tell the difference. So, like I said, there's a, a, there's a span of time in between the enemy coming and sowing and then uh, the servants recognizing that something's happened that's bad. Uh, if we go back to the text briefly... Lest you gather up the wheat while you gather up uh, the, the weeds. What's gone on uh, in agriculture, again, I, this is all just stuff that I read, you know, 
in books because I don't, I don't have any experience with agriculture. But apparently, while these, uh, once the seeds start sprouting, the, 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 the roots start going down into the, into the ground, right? And the roots entangle. They twist up. And so you have uh, the good wheat. It's growing down. Its roots are there. And then you have the weeds, the, the darnel. It's gone on, and its roots are tangled. And so once the servants realize that uh, there's two things here, where there's wheat and false wheat. It's also sometimes, Darnell's also sometimes called poison wheat. Um, when, when they realize that there's wheat and poison wheat, it's too late to get the poison wheat out without uprooting or destroying the good wheat. And that's the first thing in your note sheets. Until the harvest reaping, the weeds cannot be uprooted without destroying the wheat. There's an interesting facet, and it's really kind of the, the thing on which everything hinges, right? And so the, the master, the landowner, says, we're going to have to wait to the harvest. Then we can get things done, because when the harvest comes, uh, you're going to take your, re- your threshing things, and you're going to whoosh, and so you're going to go through, you're going to cut out all of the darnel. We're going to go, we're going to burn that, and then we're going to cut out all the wheat, and we're going to put that in the barn. We're going to sell it. That's good. Um it's nice because this is one of the few uh, parables where Jesus tells us what he means. Um, so Jesus is telling this parable. He tells a few more parables. Then he goes home, and the text continues. It says, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parables of the weeds in the fields. The disciples have been listening, and they're actually really uncomfortable with this parable. They probably have an inkling about what it means, but it's something that's stressing them out. And so they want to make sure that they've been understanding it correctly. He answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. It's me, Jesus. And the disciples at this point are they're thinking that Jesus might be the Messiah, the son of man, the one whose God has sent to save the world. They're hoping it's him. Regardless, they believe his teaching about the Messiah is true. And so then they're they're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, this is not the way we want this to go. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons or children of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons or the children of the wicked one, the evil one, Satan. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. This is starting to sound really, really bad to the disciples. Jesus goes on, he says, Therefore, as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom everything that's revolting, and those who practice rebellion. If you're following the Pew Bible, I've made some changes there. We'll talk about it. And will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Another one way to say this is... um, Only people who are ready to listen to hard things are going to believe and understand this. Well, why is this disturbing to the disciples? Why is it shocking? Well, if you're you're a a Jewish person in the first century and you know that the Messiah is coming, someone's going to come to save the world, what you understand that to mean is that finally someone's going to come and make everything right. You've been living in a world where you're oppressed by the Roman government, your religious elites are corrupt, the pov- there's rampant poverty, abuse of the weak, oppression all around, and what you're hoping for, what you're praying for, is that God is going to send somebody to come in and fix all that's wrong. 
bring in the kingdom of God. When the kingdom of God comes, we should expect everything to be good. Finally, some justice in this crazy, messed up place. But what Jesus has just said is he said, no, guess what? The, the, the children of the devil, the enemy, the people who hate you, hate me, hate God, they're going to be here with you until the very end of the age. The Son of Man's going to come, but he's going to leave them here. Instead of coming and wiping out everything and making it all right and getting rid of the bad guys, he's going to let the bad guys sit there. What's worse, the bad guys are going to do great. And if you're a disciple, you're like, well, is there any good news? A little bit. At the end of the age, Jesus says, everything that's revolting and everyone who practices rebellion, they're going to get torn out. You got to wait, but it will happen. Modern translations, I think, really, really botch this. If you read like the NIV or whatever, it'll say um, those who practice or who do evil, right? Uh, that word that I've translated rebellion is anomia. It's uh, literally lawlessness. So in the New King James, it'll say those who practice lawlessness. Um, namas is law, and ah kind of makes that like a no, no, no law. Moreover, um, the word where you see um, what's revolting in modern translations, it ten- tends to say things like things that cause people to sin or things that cause offense. That's the Greek scandalon, um, where we get our word scandal. And uh, really, I mean, it can mean that, but in this context, when it's talking about the end of the age and the end of the world, um, we saw this in 1 John, actually, uh, there's, a, there's a sense in which... Um, God is looking down on, on the world, right? And, and if you're a Jewish person, you know that there are things that really make God sick to his stomach. Things that are revolting to him. Things like the abuse of the powerless. Things like being naughty to your spouse. Things like, um, there's just lots of things where God looks at it and he's like, ah, it's no good. It really almost literally causes him to be sick to his stomach. I mean, you know, metaphorically, of course, God doesn't have a stomach. So God doesn't have weight problems, which is great. Good for God. One day, I too shall put on my long white robes, get right back down to 170 where I belong. Um, so, so there's things that, that, that God looks at, and he's like, ugh. He's let those things go on, but, he, but he's saying, but, but at, at a certain point, I'm going to tear them out. And that's not just people. It's practices, right? Uh, more, moreover, this um, rebellion, again, this same phrase gets used in First John. We went through First John three years ago, two years ago. Um, uh, there is a sermon on this, if you'd like to hear it, um, where we specifically talk about the translations here. Uh, but, but basically, um, the, 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 the meaning of the phrase is, we all assume, if we're Christians, and we're, you know, if, you, if you've come in here and you're a believer, you assume that God has a certain way the world ought to be. Right Now, you might be wrong about what you think God, uh, the way that God wants the world to be, but you assume that he has one. There's this natural law, or there's this basic way of living um, uh, uh, that, that God sort of promotes, and we should live like that. That's God's law. Maybe if you've come today and you uh, don't know anything about God, or you're, you're like, I'm interested, presumably you'd be like, well, if I found out that God was real, then I would assume he has ordered things a certain way, and I would want to live those ways. The Greek here is talking about a third type of person, the kind of person who 
could go two ways. One of which is they acknowledge that God has this sort of way of doing things and say, no, I'm not interested in that. Probably more contemporary to us, there are people who don't believe in God. And they think that the world is just a cataclysm of coincidences. It's chaos and it's purposeless. And so when someone comes along to them and says, no, no, God has an order of things, they say, no, I will not be subjected to that order. It's not real. It is essentially taking what God has said, this is how things ought to be, and saying no to God. I am in active, conscious rebellion against what you stand for. The Bible uniformly in the New Testament calls these people the children of the devil. This is not everybody, I don't think. I think that there's more than just these two groups out there. I think there are those who believe. I think there are those who um, are children of the devil. They have consciously decided and consistently decided to side with the enemy over God. But I think there's also a lot of people who are like, I'm not sure what's going on. Uh, It could go either way. I'm curious. Maybe I'll come to church, see what they have to say. Maybe I'll go to the subreddit for atheism, see what they have to say. And then ultimately, maybe I'll make a decision. I think, I think there's, there's some space there, but I do believe that there are people, and Jesus seems to think there are people who are just committed to doing things the enemy's way. And what that means, and this is the next thing in your note sheets, is that um, until the kingdom of God comes, when the Lord returns in its fullness, the children of God and the children of the devil will coexist. I use that word intentionally, by the way. You may have seen those bumper stickers. Right? Like, oh, let's all just get along. It's like, can we? <laughs> I mean, maybe. We'll do our best, but there's probably going to be some friction. Why? What a terrible plan. I mean, come on, seriously, like... Okay, so, so Jesus, you're telling me, wait, wait, hold on, Jesus. You're telling me that you're going to come. You're going to do your thing. You're going to be the Messiah. You're going to save the world. But then, at the moment of your victory, you're like, ah, but you crazy bad guys, you just have fun. Just do your thing for the next, what's been 2,000 years, right? Continue making the world a terrible place. What sort of bizarre kind of plan is that? Why? If we go back um, to the beginning of the text, we see this strange thing that the master is concerned that if, if, if we gather, if the angels just rip away all of the children of the devil and take them out, that somehow this is going to damage or destroy the children of God. Right? I mean, Jesus just told us that the good seed, that's, you know, people who believe, and then the bad seed, that's children of the devil. We're going to leave the children of the devil because if we tear them out, then we're going to destroy the people who are the children of God. What? You like Devil Wears Prada? Do we have Devil Wears Prada? Oh, yeah. Has, has everyone here seen Devil Wears Prada? Be honest. Okay, we've got some people who don't know. Oh, man. It's a modern classic. There are very few uh, movies that Aaron and I can both enjoy. This is, this is one. 
Um, I think it's because, well, the, the premise of the movie is that there's this girl, she's just out of college, um, Anne Hathaway, and she gets her first job. She's trying to make it in New York City, and she ends up as the secretary for um, a woman who runs like this fashion magazine, I think based on Anna Wintour, uh, played by Meryl Streep. Um, and so she's like, Anne Hathaway's this nice, happy little girl. She's like, oh, the world's a great place. I can't wait to make it and have my dream in New York. And then she gets there, and Meryl Streep is an absolute monster. Just vicious. Like, everything she does is wrong. She's like, you look awful. You're no good. I can't stand you. Oh, by the way, get me some coffee. You got the wrong coffee. Take it back. Now I want you to pick up my kids from school. You did it wrong. You're there late. You should have taken her. She's just an absolute monster. Aaron, I think, uh, likes it because there's a romantic subplot, A, and B, the whole movie is about fashion. I mean, who wouldn't want to watch a movie about, you know, clothes and shoes? Typically me. But, 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 I love the way that the Meryl Streep character tortures that poor girl. It's like, it's, it's like watching a, um, it's like a, it's like one of those mean business movies like Wall Street. It's a drama. It's intense. And you start rooting for this girl, like, man, I hope you make it. It's fascinating what happens. So uh, she starts out, Anne Hathaway starts out as, oh, I'm so happy. And then she's bawling, right, crying, because she's being ripped to pieces by this tyrannical maniac. And then she has this, like, gut moment where she's like, I am not going to let this woman break me. And so she begins to change. She, instead of just wearing the kind of clothes she wants to wear, which apparently, they looked fine to me, but apparently they weren't. Uh, <laughs> she starts, like, dressing according to the rules of fashion. She's, like, flashy, right? Instead of being, like, you know, chewing gum and, like, hey, whatever, it's just a job, my nine-to-five until I make it as a writer, she starts barreling through and accomplishing everything that, uh, that Meryl Streep asks of her before she even asks it. So there's a point where Meryl Streep's about to berate her for not having, like, lunch there. And then the lunch appears right in front of her. And Anne Hathaway's like, whoa, I gotcha. And then this actually starts to work in, in Hathaway's uh, benefit. Now that she sees her talent, her skill, her, her confidence, her ability to be uh, hardworking, she starts to elevate her. So that now, now starting out as just a secretary, now all the world of fashion has opened up to Anne Hathaway because she's changed and, and morphed and transformed. And now she can be the next tyrannical monster like Meryl Streep. She's at this moment where she's like, she has this option. She can be at the top of the fashion world with all of that entails, like backstabbing each other. It's like vicious competition. You can't trust anybody. No loyalty. Horrible, horrible, horrible. She can step right into that role because she's accomplished so much. She's changed so much. And at that moment, she looks into the face of of the Meryl Streep character and she's like, that's not me. I don't want to become that. I don't want to live in a world where you can't trust anyone. I don't want to live in a world where everyone's backstabbing each other. I don't want to live in a world where there is no love and only hate. And so she walks away. She leaves the job, leaves everything, and goes and becomes a successful author, does something different, and she makes it. She's, she's, she's no longer this young, naive, happy-go-lucky girl. She's now a professional. She's competent. She's hardworking. She's changed in a lot of ways, but she's held on to the values that make her her. 
This movie was made over a decade ago. Back then, we did not know, but we know now that 20% of corporate executives are full-blown psychopaths. Yes, true fact. Study in Australia, they found 216 corporate executives. They gave them a standard inventory and found out that literally 20 to 21% of those people had all of the characteristics of a psychopath. If you're wondering, psychopaths are people who have no empathy for others. They, uh, they're narcissistic. They're driven. Um, they function very well in two places in our society. The first is prison. I'm, I'm serious. 25% of prisoners are psychopaths. Uh, they do great there. Uh, they get right to the top of the heap. They also do really well in corporate America uh, because they are willing to give a, They have no moral compass except success for me. And so they'll backstab anyone. They'll do anything. And they, and they, just, they either wreck the corporation or they make it fabulously successful, like one or the other. And presumably, in some respects, the, uh, the Anna Wintour character in Devil Wears Prada is sort of like a psychopath. Maybe not full-blown, but close. And yet, if it weren't for that psychopath, then the young Anne Hathaway character would never have grown. In fact, at the end of the movie, she, she says the best thing that ever happened was going through the crucible of having to work with that maniac. It forced her to confront things about herself. It forced her to change and morph and transform in really positive ways. It forced her, this, this implacable monster shaped her in some really positive ways. And I think um, when we take this back to the, the parable of Jesus, I think what Jesus is saying, he's saying one of the reasons, this is not the reason, it's not the end of the, but one of the reasons that I am allowing this insanity to continue is because these children of the devil are an opportunity for the children of God to grow. Even uses that language. They'll grow together until the harvest They'll mature together. They'll become what they're supposed to be in this kind of tug of war. The children of the devil provide an opportunity for the children of God to grow in discipleship and overcome evil with good. There's a moment where Anne Hathaway is, she's decided instead, instead of being who I really am, I'm just going to adopt that maniac's strategies. I'm going to destroy her. Instead of, instead of being me, instead of remaining good, I'm going to go over into evil and just, and just annihilate her. And, and she steps back from that, because that is one way to deal with evil, right? That's our natural reaction when we deal with evil. When someone evil comes along and we recognize that they're evil, we want to destroy them. We want to use whatever tactics they have, whatever weapons they've got, to stab them in the back, slit their throat, and send them to the side of the road. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, well, there's a different way. There's a way that I've developed. It's the way of the kingdom. And it's a different kind of response to evil. And it doesn't always end with you winning. But it does end with you changing.
we could have the, uh, the Jesus picture. There's probably some people here uh, who are hearing what I'm saying. You're, uh, what I'm saying is that one of the reasons that there are evil people in the world, people dedicated to the way of the enemy, is so that we can encounter them and be shaped by them and grow closer to Christ because of them. And there are probably people here who's like, that's impossible. You probably can think of somebody right now or a group of people, maybe um, well, there's lots of different ways, uh, you know, especially in our con- contemporary political divide, the partisanship is that we start to, we don't think about people as individuals, we think about them as left or right, progressive or conservative. And if you're progressive, you start to think that conservatives are subhuman. And if you're a conservative, you start to think that progressives are completely insane. And both sides think, gosh, maybe we should just put the other down. In our, in our personal lives, especially in careers, we see people um, in business who are like, they're, they're backstabbing their way to the top. And we know it. And we think, how can we sabotage them? I hate that person because of what he or she does. In our personal lives, we see people who succeed in our groups of friends through subterfuge, gossip, backstabbing, and we say to ourselves, if I could just confront him or her and tell him or her just how it is and see them wilt, destroyed, annihilated, sent packing, humbled, humiliated, then I would, I would, have, I would be happy. And to suggest that there's a different way of operating is impossible. For some of you, the reason that it is impossible is because you do not have the Spirit of God living in you. We know that it is possible because of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who you see up there crucified. The Christian telling of of Jesus' life is that he had every opportunity to wipe out all of the Roman oppressors and the religious elites who were literally torturing him to death. He had every opportunity to say, you know what, I'm done with you. Kicked him to the side of the road, send him to hell, do whatever. And instead, instead of that, he said, fine, do your worst, I accept it. I will take death if that's what you must have. Instead of destroying them, he accepted it. And the Spirit of God that, that lived in Christ was poured out from the cross onto the world so that the life that he has, the very life that can resist the enemy, that can say, I'll take it, I don't care, the, the, the power to, re, to, to uh, forgive those who would kill you, that same power is poured out into the world and it is given to every person who believes in Jesus. We say that if you believe in Jesus, the Spirit of God indwells you, giving you the life and the power of the man up there who literally told the world, you can kill me, you can hate me, and I will still forgive you and love you. That can be yours if you simply believe. You can have the power within yourself to reject hatred, to embrace redemption, and to replace your your prejudices, your bigotries, your hatred with love. And if you've never done that, I'm going to pray for you in a few moments. There are some people here, if you're honest, you have the power of God living within you. You have the Spirit. You remember a time when the Spirit produced love and forgiveness and redemption in your life. And and, and somewhere along the way, it stopped. Somewhere along the way, you got caught up in this hatred. 
You came up against the children of the devil, and their evil was so revolting to you, so offensive to you, that you decide, I'm going to fight back and, and, and take them out. And in bitterness and, and, and anger have, have been welling up in your heart, and you honestly aren't at peace because of the, en- the evil that you see. The evil that you see is so disruptive, so angering to you, that you can't do anything but, but participate in a, a vicious cycle has, has taken place. I do have a practical thing that you can do about this. You can listen or watch the several sermons I preached about anger and hatred about a year ago. If you are a person who has the Spirit of God within you, and yet you find yourself caught up in cycles of hatred and bitterness and anger over and over, and you're looking for a chance for reconciliation to actually grow the way that Jesus intends you to grow— Email me uh, or, or talk to me after the service. I will point you to those messages. They have really practical, on the ground, this is, these are the things you do to get out of these cycles. And they, interestingly, are from texts in Matthew, the same uh, gospel that we're preaching today. There are some of you who, uh, you've transcended hatred. The, uh, there are some here who, have walked long enough and seen God's faithfulness enough and loved Jesus enough uh, where you recognize that he's got it all under control and you don't worry about the people who are cheating their way to the top. You don't, it doesn't stress you out. You're not worried about this, that. Instead, you're filled with joy, with peace. You're the ones um, who have really, really imbibed the Spirit of God and live according to his ways. Please, This Advent season, this season where we celebrate Jesus, please have the words of peace and love on your lips. Have the actions of peace and love in your hands and and distribute those to the ones that you see who aren't there yet. The ones who are concerned, they're in turmoil, they're frustrated, they're they're on the brink of becoming haters just like the children of the devil. Uh, If you can reach out to them, identify them, just maybe... Uh, let's, get, let's make it easy. Between one and three people. If you have transcended hatred, you are, you're like, I'm Jesus, I love you. If you're at that place, I want you to come up with three people, or two or one, but at least one, where you know that their life is being consumed by war against the children of the devil. And I want you to share with them something that might bring them back from the brink. Going back to the, uh, the Devil's War, Devil Wears Prada um, idea. The Meryl Streep evil, vicious monster character's goal is to make everyone in the world just like her or destroy them. That's what the children of the devil do. There are literally people out there who want nothing more than to turn everyone that they meet into a hateful, bitter, destroyed, awful human being like they are or to see them dead. The children of God are called to live with these people, but instead, don't don't let them make you more hateful. Instead, become grateful for who Christ is within you. Don't let them 
whoever they may be, make you more hateful. Instead, in Christ, become grateful for his gift of life, empowered by his peace and joy, confident that at the end of the age, all will be set right. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, if any are here today um, who don't have the power to forgive, who don't have your life living in them, who think it's impossible that they could be like you, that they could accept and overcome evil with good, that they um, could be changed and transformed to become loving, radically peaceful, joyful people. God, I just pray on their behalf that, that they will believe in your son today. Say, Jesus, I believe in you and I ask for your spirit, the spirit of power that can change me. I trust that you gave it and I want it. I want to be forgiven. I want to be redeemed and I want to have your power. God, for any here who are caught up, who are being transformed by the haters into haters themselves, who are clashing against the children of the devil and being made more like the world, God, I just pray that you will intercede right now by the power of your spirit, enliven in them your spirit. Let them resist and instead be transformed with radical love. For any God who have transcended the enemy who have defeated him in their own hearts, I pray that they will locate, identify just one or two or three people here, God, or, or in their lives, who, people who need a word or a gift or a kindness, something to bring them back from the brink of hatred and, and into uh, the light of Christ. God, may we not become more hateful, but instead be more grateful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.